Hoody hoo. Hoody hoo. Hi guys, welcome back to is this episode 79. Alright guys, so we're here with uh, another great guest. Uh, it's probably the latest I've ever done an interview and this is not on hers, it's on <laughs> me. I, I mean, she <laughs> she was busy, but I just literally had nothing else to do and you know, she had some other plans the next day and I was just like, yeah, I could just speed up the process, screw it. Um, anyway, so again, I mentioned many times of, of Podmatch, uh, it really has been a great, uh, avenue and, and just a platform to find guests and, um, you know, every week, uh, if you have like the free, uh, the free version, there's actually a paid version where you get like unlimited searches and all that, but you really don't need it. But anyway, the, the, the free version, you get like five searches a week. Um, and every so often, like every week I probably go on there once or twice and just type in disabled and disability just to see if any new people pop up. And, uh, this woman popped up and, hmm. um, you know, again, I, I read a lot of her story. It was really awesome. And then you know, I had to talk to her. Was it your publicist? Um, no, my assistant, your yeah, assistant. Not, not my publicist. Yeah. Assistant. Okay. Yeah. Which was like, Oh, she's fancy. Um, no, I, I'm not <laughs> fancy at all. I feel snotty saying I have an assistant. Okay. No, it's all right. Uh, anyway, so I read her story and a lot of what she was about and, and, you know, we connected and we actually got to talk on the phone actually yesterday and we had a nice conversation mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we really kind of bonded and, and have a lot of agreements and she's actually been very supportive of the podcast. So, uh, why don't you kind of tell us your name and obviously just like a little quick rundown of what you've been through and we'll get deeper into it. Sure, Danny Williamson, and I live in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'm a nurse practitioner, actually, um, and I have a functional medicine clinic here in town, and I help people heal their bodies from the inside out by healing their gut and working with their mental health issues and cleaning up their diet and their sleep and their exercise, all of that, so I work really predominantly with autoimmune disease, mainly Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and a lot of anxiety and depression. I love what I do. I, I have a traditional job. I mean, I'm sorry, a traditional education as an allopathic family practice nurse practitioner. And then 11 years ago, I got a job out of school that completely turned my entire world around. And having been diagnosed with lupus and depression and irritable bowel syndrome, I had no idea that there was another way out there to heal your body other than a pill, right? For your ill. I didn't realize that what's at the end of your fork is way more powerful than what's at the bottom of your pill bottle ever, right? We need prescriptions, right? We need that. But so I love what I do, and I'm blessed to have a fantastic practice that really helps to get to the root cause of what's going on with a patient. Right. And I tell people every day, if you weren't born with it, like high blood pressure or depression or, or you know, diabetes, if you weren't born with it, lupus like me and, and um, um, irritable bowel, we can turn it around. You turned it on. If you weren't born with it, you turned it on. And I'm living proof that you can turn it off or dial it back greatly by right. lifestyle changes. Yeah. So I love it. Love, love, love what I do. And I'm honored to be here today, actually, to get to speak to you. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it. Um, it it's nice when you meet not only like-minded people, but just, just kind people. And just, you know, I think, you know, like what you were talking about with your story, 
you know, to do what you do and to, to, to do what any of us kind of do when it comes to whether it's advocating or just trying to change lives and put out good energy, you kind of, it has to start from somewhere negative and, and, and pain has to come from it. And, and, you know, you have to, whether it's, you know, someone who, you know, physically went through something or they saw someone they yes. cared about go through something. Um, That's so right. Either way, they have to be kind of close to the situation. Um, mm-hmm. So where, uh, so how, how do you get to where you are today? Um, so actually mm-hmm. from the beginning, obviously, you know, how do, how, yeah. do you, how do you psychologically get yourself into this? Like what got you here? Well, what got me here was, you know, I literally grew up in a shithole of chaos, complete chaos. My grandfather had died by suicide. My mother had attempted suicide multiple times. I struggled with irritable bowel, chronic diarrhea. I had my first colonoscopy at age 20. And that's the beginning for me. That's the first 18 years of my life. And 15 years after that, I was still struggling with all those symptoms and added lupus onto it and itching and joint pain. Gosh, I was in a horrible marriage, and I remember the exact day that I I decided, okay, I'm going to die by suicide today as well. And I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to drive off the foot of Broadway in Paducah, Kentucky, into the raging Ohio River, and there was nothing anyone could do, nothing. And suddenly, within a matter of seconds, my two kids, Jackson and Ella, they were like five and six at the time. They came busting in the room, mama, mama. We're hungry. I mean, you know, it's a typical morning. I was still in bed. And I mean, I literally, I looked them in the eye and I saw, I, I was, I, I immediately made a decision. There's no way I'm going to leave those with my husband, Greg, and those children. And I got up and I made a plan and I got divorced a year later. I was a single mom, divorced at 38 on food stamps and a medical card. And I applied to nursing school. Wow. <laughs> and, and literally, one year later, I'm standing on the front porch and I get these two letters that I opened in January. I'll never forget it. The very first letter was, congratulations, you are going to Vanderbilt, right? You've been accepted to the nurse practitioner program at Vanderbilt. And the second one was, congratulations, basically, congratulations, you've been given 56 more dollars this month in food stamps. Wow. And that was a crazy crazy season in my life and three years later I'm $196,000 in debt to Vanderbilt and still having all the same symptoms right itching diarrhea lupus irritable bowel mad as hell all the time and doctor after doctor had treated symptom after symptom after symptom and one day a doctor looked at me square in the eye and said Danny what are you eating don't you know your diet controls your disease and it changed my entire world. And ever since then, I, and, and, you know, and, and that doctor at that time did not ask me about my childhood, right? He didn't ask me about adverse childhood experiences, which is what I have since learned. The first 18 years of your life sets you up for a lifetime of chronic disease. If, in fact, you don't overcome that. Right. When he, when now, he, said, that's that's, I got, when he said it's controlling your disease, which one? Are you talking about the irritable bowel? So all of it. He was talking about all of it. Lupus, IBS, depression, the gut, and the brain are 100% connected, right? Right, What's going on in the gut is going to happen in the brain. Anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, 
fascinating. You heal the gut, you begin to heal the brain and the other symptoms. So that's what he said. He turned my world around. We did food sensitivity testing on me. I did, you know, I did an elimination diet. I cut out inflammatory foods. I started some probiotics and my entire world started to change and it changed the entire trajectory of my life. I hope my children's lives and my patients lives because I had just gotten out of school and I didn't know any of this. I had no idea that our bodies were designed to heal themselves. Mm. fascinating yeah how, how quickly before we go by it how how scary is it from i know you kind of listened to the one episode with me and and you know how, how scary is it to actually know like you were inches away from dying like you were so close and like, because i after you know i had my little thing and you know and i thought about it years later because i've always I don't, I don't want to say jokingly, but I've always said, like, I, one of the reasons why I'm not a gun person, not, not a gun person mm-hmm. as far as, like, advocates or, you know, anti or any of that shit, but the actual just, like, I just don't ever want to own a gun because I feel like I might get to a day where I'm just so sad and maybe I just do it because it's an easier way out. Um, now, maybe not exactly. so now, but at one point, if I ever owned a gun that way back when that, you know, again, in my case, had a lock on it, if it didn't have a lock on it, I would be dead, so... Um, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's gotta be scary. Cause, cause I, I constantly was going through this realization of like, man, like how, you know, down the road, am I going to, am I going to do this again? Am I going to have this feeling? And, right. you know, and again, for you, you had your kids. I didn't have that. So at least you had yes. something to kind of look into their eyes and realize like without that, yeah. without you, they pro- their existence is going to be much harder. Right. Yeah. It was scary. And you know, in hindsight, of course, in the moment, I don't think you realize how scary it is. No. But, and, and I try not to think about any of that. But when I was writing this book that's coming out this year, I the whole first part of that book is on this and my first 18 years. And and I, I mean, I still get emotional thinking about it, how close it was. It's scarier now than it was then because I felt like I was in my right mind. I felt like I was and I was and I knew there's, you know, this is my only way out. And so I'm grateful, so grateful that I had those two kids because I don't know. Maybe I would have done the exact same thing that my grandfather did. Did you ever tell them? In the driveway. They know now. They didn't know then. They know now. But they didn't know. They did not know. In fact, most people did not know until, again, I wrote this book and I thought I'm going to share this because I'm not the only person. I sit and listen to patients every day tell me that these kinds of stories, like what I just shared with you in a couple of minutes. And, mm-hmm. and I, as I told you last night, I'm on the board, the local board, the Tennessee board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And whew, I mean, the things we hear and the stories you hear, you know, and it's we, during COVID, Mm-hmm. Phone calls to suicide crisis lines, you may not know this, are up 800%. 800% phone calls. I knew they were high, but lines. I didn't know that high, yeah. While phone calls to domestic violence oh, yes. Very high. hotlines are down. Oh, down. Really? Oh, they're down. Drastically. Well, guess why? Because 2020, the victim was in the home with their Right. Okay. You know, yes. Their, their so, abuser. So domestic, because mm-hmm. I know domestic violence was up, 
but the hotlines were down. But phone calls were down. Gotcha. That makes sense. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's it's and sad, sad too, it, and yeah, scary. It, it is. It is. But but you know the highest rate of suicide climbing right now is age ten to thirteen. Yeah, I've 10 seen that. to thirteen. Teen. Teen. Yeah. yeah. Unacceptable. I mean, we're really in, in, in a world of hurt, but you know, what I do for a living is, um, you know, we really address all of that. It, and I tell my, I tell people this all the time. If you have a healthcare provider, who's not looking at you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, sexually, then you need to find a new provider because this is, it's all connected. It's all whole body health and mm-hmm. you can't have one without the other. Right. Yeah. It's very, very yeah. important. Yeah. It, 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 it is. very, And you know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's something we, we talked about. I believe we talked about it last night. If it wasn't you, it was someone else. But, um, you know, just just how like 2020 is something that I, I learned a lot from just as a person where, I mean, yes, I started the podcast and all that. But I realized like it was a time that we're we're going through that's completely unprecedented and, and, and totally different from any other time that at least I've lived. Uh, in my 32 years. And, you know, I know a lot of people that I've just come across in my journeys, not just family, not just friends or, or people I've dated or anything, just my some of my teachers, just people I can get a hold of, whether it's on Facebook or in my cell phone or whatever. And I just started reaching out to them, making sure everybody's okay. And, and again, of course, now doing the podcast, I made a bunch of new friends. And so checking on them and all that. And then you look at, it's like, okay, that's great and very noble for what I'm doing. But that's not what everybody else was doing. Like everybody else was out rioting and destroying shit and, you know, beating, their, you know, abusing their children and, and hurting their, you know, significant others. And, and it's just it's like, man. And again, like, of course, the suicide hotline is up like or, you know, the number the calls in you are bet. exponentially going up because, you know, people are just there. People are suffering and, and, and uh, people want to kill themselves because, it, I mean, again, there's people, I think one of the saddest things ever is just to think about the realization of people dying in a hospital and no one can visit them. Like that's yes. horrifying. Oh yes. I had a patient whose husband, who's, I only have one patient who, whose spouse died in a hospital alone. I mean, and, 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 and it's horrifying. And they had been married a long time. She's 76 years old. And yes, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I'll tell you what, the next pandemic clearly is a mental health pandemic. I mean, look at our children. Mm-hmm. Look at what's going on with them in school and, 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 and the, you know, whether you're on the mask side or the not mask side. I mean, I mean, just nothing is as it should be right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and, and, you know, TV, I mean, I, I've got the TV on mute right now, but, and it's on news, which I should not, we should not be watching the news, I suppose, you know, and the yeah. anxiety levels. And I was just talking about this tonight in a support group that I run for Hashimoto's. The, the, the angst that my patients and everyone's patients are feeling now is absolutely mentally and physically exhausting to the healthcare provider. I mean, every, it, it's a rare patient, TJ, who walks into my office and says, 2020 was the best year I ever had. I feel like a rock star. Mentally, I'm, I'm, I'm better than I've ever been. Physically, I'm better. I haven't gained any weight. I've been exercising. I mean, my life is great. It doesn't happen. I mean, and, and, and we, everyone is exhausted right now. And it's, it's tough. 
I mean, it's really tough and, and people are struggling. And, you know, what do we do whenever we start to struggle and we get stressed? Well, we eat comfort food. The last thing that we should be doing, right? Sugar, gluten, dairy, fats, all the things that give us comfort food. The worst thing we can do. Yeah. And, 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 and then, yeah. you know, for a while we were all stuck in our houses. I mean, I worked through the yes. whole thing. But you're stuck in your yes. house. And then, of course, you got, you know, if you have someone who's abusing you and all that, um, yes. you know, so you, you don't really have much of an escape. And, um, you know, and I, I said the only thing that saved us through that pandemic is the fact that power didn't go out because the power went out. Oh, that's when God. people completely turn into something else. It's well, you know, yes, you're right. But you remember what happened in Texas in the winter? Their power went out. And my good friend was down in Austin. She's another healthcare provider. She was without power for close to two weeks. Yeah. This is in December. Do you remember when the power yeah. grid yeah, yeah, went yeah. out? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't. I can't imagine. Wasn't but that no, because it of was snow? A, or, or what yes, was it? it was snow, a right? snow. It was a weather situation, and whatever happened down there. Oh, I don't know yeah. I think it. Was, I think ice was involved. I think snow happened. But ice, then, ice was. It was something yeah, with ice. Yeah. Ice. Yeah, but I mean, like, because there, there's, like, you know, the reason why things, like I said, when it comes to being stuck in your house, it was like, again, like, I learned just to, like, appreciate everything I have, and, or at least try to. I mean, I have my moments where I go off the path, but I was like, okay, you know, I get to, I get to stay home sometimes, even though I had to work a lot of times, but I was just like, okay, I get to enjoy this, and, you know, people, instead of just, like, staying home and watching their Netflix and doing that. It's like, well, I'm bored now. I'm three months in with this, which I get. It's like, well, I guess I'll just, you know, beat my wife or, or whatever. And it's like, man, like, look, I mean, it's never a good time to do that, but it's like, yeah, if the internet would have went out, like they would have had nothing. And, and then people were going to go outside regardless. And you bet. I, yeah. I mean, it's just, it put us in such a bad time. And then now you see everyone's out and every so often you're starting to see the shootings go back up, like not not just the gang violence, because that's always that was there through the whole time. But you're starting to yeah. see these people shooting up all these, you know, whatever churches and, and movie theaters and all. And it's like it gets to a point where it's like like none of us are safe. Like it's it, it, it in, in, you, in everyone is constantly in a, in a state of panic, uh, even even if, even if they're kind of blinded to everything. It's like. Even if you have like a random thought, like, oh, I'm in a grocery store. Oh, yeah. Remember that one story and so and so? And they shut up a grocery store. It's like the fact that we even have to think about stuff like that now. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's ridiculous. I, you bet it is. I wouldn't want to be a teenager right now for any amount of money. And I know, I mean, I've got two, a 23 and a 25 year old. But, you know, talk, what you were talking about being stuck in your home and, and things, um, you, you don't, you don't know me, know me, but last year, so I live in this little neighborhood. Um, I've always been a big believer in community, right? So my six steps that I work with with my patients are eat well, sleep well, move well, poop well, decrease stress, and cultivate community. Community is huge for me, just like this support group I run tonight. But last year during COVID, I've been in this neighborhood for eight years. We love each other, our neighbors. We know each other, but we never knew each other. You know, it's one of those things like we never did things, lots of things together. Last summer, no, last spring during COVID, I started a neighborhood cookout. Now, initially, it started in everyone's driveway. Like we were, you know, we were, or I don't know, we were spread out the way we're supposed to be, right? 
and every single one of my neighbors. So there's eight, I don't know, six houses here, right here in this little cul-de-sac thing I live in. And every, every weekend, every Saturday last year, starting in April, we had a cookout. Listen, let me tell you what happened. I can't tell you how many other communities started that in our town because I have a, um, I do a lot of Facebook and, and Instagram. It was the best thing that we've ever done as a community. Every week we looked forward to this, just a cookout. We were outside. We didn't go in. We cooked our own food. We didn't share each other's food. You know, I mean, we probably could have, but you know, it was kind of weird. We were outside and we cultivated community, TJ. There's the problem. We don't have any community anymore. Mm. Um, we're isolated. We're lonely. And we, I couldn't tell you how many patients came in my office and were like, we've been watching your videos and we're, we're having a neighborhood cookout with our friends now. And I am, it, it was so incredible. We got to know each other. We laughed together. We cried. Sometimes people would get mad you know, and get up and walk out, not, you know, with her spouse. I mean, it was hilarious. It was like a one big family all summer and all fall. And then when winter came, we didn't continue it. But you know what happened this year? And I'm so irritated. We've done one cookout, one wow. cookout, because what? Life has gotten back to normal right. and we're all busy. We can't get it together. Right. So there were some good things that happened from COVID last year, and you know, yeah, and there's some a lot of us of cultivated community. There's a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, innovation and there's a lot of people did a lot of cool. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Zoom, I never heard of Zoom until that. Not to say, I mean, I'm, I believe it was yeah. a thing. I mean, there was Skype and all that, but like people used it at, for really good reasons and uh, it turned into and something. And we slowed down, you bet. And some people cut out things that, I mean, most people did, right? I had a lot of patients tell me. This was so good for our family. We were overscheduled. My children were overscheduled, right? Kids don't want to be overscheduled. They don't want to do three different sports and then tutoring and, you know, violin lessons and all that crap. And they don't want to eat their dinner in the car every day going from, you know, school to, to sports and all that. I mean, there were some good things that happened. And I think a lot of patients, I mean, a lot of people, they reevaluated a lot of things. Now, who knows? We may go right back to where we were. I don't know. Right. But um, it, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. No. Yeah, of course all. not. Yeah, I, I think, like, and what you guys were doing, I think, is such a great thing because if we had more of just, you know, camaraderie and people actually just, you know, obviously, you, you know, of course, I'm trying to do the whole thing with the, dis, you know, disabled community, just some unity and so on. But, like, imagine if mm -hmm. just, like, you know, let's just say you're in a town of we'll just narrow it to a hundred people and an amber alert goes off and ninety nine people mm. say, Here's my house. Here come look. We'll we'll help you search, blah blah blah. We're all together in this. We're gonna find this child. And there's one person that hasn't let their house, you know, hasn't opened their house to everyone else. Well, it's probably easy to find them. Like if we actually like do what we're supposed to do when crises happen instead of just thinking about ourselves all the time and constantly, you know, worrying about only us and we start going, Hey, Let's, you know, let's help each other. And that's how you build a better world. But that's why we go through all these, you know, that's why we're constantly at war. And, you know, we like to think that we're the better because we know we're America or whatever, whatever country you're from. But we constant. there's so many conflict because people don't want to learn from each other. People don't want to help each other. They just want to kind of be in their world. And they anything that gets in the way of it it deters them and, and says, wow, you know, you, you, how dare you? Like, I, I feel, you know, I told you off mic that I, I feel vending machines. I don't know how many people, you know, some guy came up to me today was just like, 
oh, I wouldn't pay that much for a soda. It's like, sir, why are you telling me that? And this is the state law that I have to put this price. I don't care if you won't, don't want to pay $1.50 for a can of soda. I don't care. But it's like he felt like he had to tell me that because I disrupted his day with my horrible price that I did not come up with. And it's like, can we just like get along like for real? Like, I don't care. I mean, I'm sorry that that price offends you, but you know, that's right. You know, I don't get completely off topic here, but it's just like, you know, that that, looking out for each other is such a a key thing. And, and it's, it's not hard to do. No, it's not. But what we tend to do is what he did. And I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, you're fine. Sorry. Is he makes it about him. We make it about us. We make it about us. And I think that, you know, I've, I've learned a lot in my 65 years. It, you know, it's, it's not about me. It's not always about me. Rarely is it about me. And when I make things about me is when I look like an asshole. Right. And, right. You know, so we we tend to make things. And I think we need to slow down and step back and say, you know, this isn't about me. Right. And again, we, about them. We're, we're human, so we're naturally selfish, so it happens. You bet. Amen to so, that. So it happens. That all the time. We all have our time. <laughs> where we, and there's time we need, like, you know, I do this podcast and I interview people that their stories are so sad that I need to take time for myself because, you know, it's, it's very emotional and I genuinely have empathy and care for these people. And it's like yes. when someone tells me, you know, horrible, you know, something that's happened terrible to them, you know, a, a woman, I, uh, Talia, who I interviewed and she has... Uh, she's, she has a cerebral palsy and she, when she told me she can never bathe herself, it made me sad. Mm. I felt terrible for her because she's this powerful woman. She's so smart and she's an author and she does all these great things. And then you bring it back down to like the smallest common denominator. And she, you can tell in that moment when she's explaining it, it's like the strength kind of went out of her. It's like, well, yeah, I can't bathe myself and you know, and, and things like, and it just, it hurt because it's like, it's like, man, like it's like, you know, no matter how strong you are. Um, there's certain moments or certain things in your life that can just strip every bit of confidence and power that you have. Um, and so, yeah, like for me, like I have to take time for myself. Sometimes I got to be selfish and and dealing with mental health alone. I'm constantly tired. I'm constantly battling all this shit in my head that, you know, that if I do physical things all the time, um, and I'm not as tired. But my mental battles, right. it, it drains me. And so I there's times where I, you know, I try to be the best friend and, and son and so on that I can be. But there's times where it's just like I don't I don't call it TJ time, but I just go I just need to just be to myself because I just I don't I don't even want to have these negative thoughts in front of anybody. I just want to let them just kinda download and we'll just get over it and we'll start over in a couple hours or whatever. You bet. You have to rejuvenate, you have to take time for yourself. It is not selfish right. to take time for yourself and that's when your body heals and you know self-care and all that and I, I'm not a huge fan of the word self-care I tell people every day create a life that you don't have to escape from to have self-care mm-hmm. build self-care into your daily life you know we should do that we need to take time to breathe we need to take time to if you pray or meditate or walk or earth, I'm a big fan of earthing or grounding in the morning, take your shoes off in the evening, take your shoes, get outside, put your feet to the earth, your face to the sun. You sleep better. You feel better. The earth is nothing but energy, right? So are we. But God put this incredible energy in this earth. There's a reason cats and dogs, as a rule, do not have anxiety or horses or cows or pigs or whatever have their feet to the earth all day. 
They don't wear shoes. We wear shoes. And the earth, our feet are designed to be on the earth. So anyway, I'm a big fan of earthing, but you build your life to where you have some space in it. We have no margin, TJ. We have no margin in our life. Right. I would no su- margin. I would suggest, though, do not go barefoot in some of the truck stops that I go in. It is oh, not God, cleanliness. No. <laughs> yeah, don't I do want that. you on the grass. Yeah. I want, there's a reason people live longer <laughs> at the ocean, right? They right, have right. the sun, the salt, the sea, the sand, and they have all of that negative, en- negative ions, what am I saying, not negative energy, negative ions from the earth that create peace and calm and less anxiety when your feet are on the earth. No, I want you on grass or sand. Yeah, no, I know. Not, yeah, not a truck yeah. stop. That's funny. Let's don't let's don't do anything at a truck stop yeah, unless please. Um, no. Woo! Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, but you know, yes, we don't have any margin. And right. we and that's on us. Shame on us for not having margin in our life, right? Yeah. We are in control of our schedule. Right. And if we over schedule ourselves, that's on us. And I overscheduled myself, so you saw what happened to me tonight. We're we're interviewing tonight at nine o'clock my time, basically ten o'clock your time. And what? Because you know, I I had something. I mean, it wasn't my fault that my mom has Alzheimer's and there's a problem in Kentucky, and I've got to get there. But we don't build in margin. We have we are in control of what we say yes to. Right, and and the reality is, we only have twenty four hours in the day. And you, you and you should at least get what six hours at best, at worst. Oh, you at know, worst, at, yes, yeah. yes. We need more than that, a lot more than six hours. But yes, yes. but there's a lot of people yes. promoting, like some of these celebrities, saying like how I got so famous and how I made so much money, and they never stopped working. And mm-hmm. there's something to that, but there's also, again, it also depends where your mental state is and and all the things that you you've had to overcome and all that, but. You know, right. some things come easier to certain people and whatever else. And some people work harder and whatever. But, you know, for me, I'm trying, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Like, I feel like, you know, if I don't continue to try to put myself out there and continue to try to find new people and, and spread awareness and all that, you know, I don't want to take a month away or I don't want to take a week. Like, I, I really want to continue to just push and, and, and put goodness out there. But then there is times where I'm just like, man, like, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to stress yourself out because you already deal with stress. And you're going to, you know, you're just going to overexude yourself and you're going to, you know, whatever, burn, burn yourself out. And you're going to get angry, depressed, whatever it is. And so I'm kind of somewhere in the middle and trying to figure a way like a, a healthy balance, because even though what I'm doing is, is positive and is a good thing, not only for me, but for other people, there is a point of a health risk where it's like, like, all right, you're, you're just, you're tired. You can't do this anymore. Like, and, and again, and also the emotional part where the attachment and, the people and how their stories affect me uh, internally and mm-hmm. so, or, or mentally. Oh, oh! I, I walk away from that office every day overwhelmed with, whew, and I used to bring it home with me, and I try not to anymore because, TJ, you can't do that. You, you cannot do it. You have to shake it off, and you have to, again, set some boundaries, set some margin in your life. To, to where you get to rejuvenate and recharge, right? And refresh all those things. And your body heals when you sleep. Those guys who say they go, well, Elon Musk, prime example, yeah, right? Yeah. Now he kind of melted down not too long ago on, on, on camera. And, you know, he could sleep two hours a night on his couch and his, I, I don't remember the whole story, but, you know, in his office. 
well, that's not going to last for long. Your body heals when you sleep. It's as simple as that. And if you don't get the sleep that you need, you will never be the person you were designed to be. And, 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 and he's yeah, like an I'm alien a big, anyway. Like he, his, I know that. His work I, I, he's, 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 I know. Might be I the know. smartest man on and the I've planet. Been, like he's, yeah. I know. He, boy, I tell you what, he is. But, but, and I've got an amazing work ethic. But the older you get, right, you realize, okay, this is crazy. You know, I've worked like a dog. I've got to sleep. I, and when I sleep, when I go to bed, like this is past my bedtime right now at, 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 at in, in Nashville, right? It's not eight fifty two. Shoot, I'm already in bed by by nine o'clock. But when I go to bed and I sleep and I get I'm a much better person. Everyone is. Your body detoxes between like two and four in the morning, your liver detoxes. I mean, lots of things happen to your body when you sleep at night. And so it's real important. Margin is important in your life and I have learned. I'm not going to overschedule myself. I'm just not. Um, I'm not going to. It's not worth it. And I'm better when I'm refreshed and recharged and all those things. And everyone is. Everyone is. We're frazzled. Right. This question is probably really good for you. Like, how how do you, for what you do, and you you interact with all these people that are constantly dealing with their woes, and obviously you have a personal (laughs) connection to it as well, but how do you balance the whole caring and not getting desensitized? Like, because yeah. you, because you, if you see, an, I mean, you see a lot of soldiers, they come back and you it's bet. like someone dies and it's like, yeah, yeah. I saw a guy's brain matter hanging out of his head. I, that doesn't bother me anymore. Like, it, so if like for you, yeah. like how, how do you not get desensitized, but also how also do you keep a, 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 just, you know, a healthy care for these people at the same time? Because, you know, you can get both, you can get stuck in it where you're just, you know, you get so hooked into it to where you're depressed and yes. you feel their pain, but then you could also have the other way of it. It's just like, oh, it's just another person who's just, you know, whatever. They're dealing with their, oh, they're addicted to drugs, all oh, whoopee. Like, yeah, like how do you how do you yes. balance that? I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle there. I think I'm pretty balanced now. Probably the first, I don't know, six years of me doing this, I was on the side of, a nervous wreck every day every night when I left I was thinking about what did I miss oh my lord I missed something I'm going to kill this person um something's really wrong and I've missed it and I was so overwhelmed in their stories and all of that and I have learned as I've gotten older okay I can't fix everything today and I really do have a good balance I mean I kind of decompress at the office before I leave most days we talk things out because we're all about what I do for a living. Like we really get to know these patients. It's not, I mean, I have an hour and a half with my patients, right? Okay, yeah. The first visit at 30 minutes. So we're not, they're like family to us. So I really do have a good balance of it. I think about it a lot. I think about say, you know, Linda's, um, you know, what she just told me today, Dang, you know, and I'm, I'm not often shocked anymore about people's, childhood about people's history and stuff but i i really do try i don't here's what i i will retire the day that i say something like what you said you know i saw their brains out i would never have that because in my practice but you know you know yeah you know she killed herself and and she she died by suicide and it didn't affect me i will retire when that happens because i think that as true healthcare providers, we take we take a lot of that on, but we also have to know how to 
let it go. Let it go the best we can, but but it's never completely gone. So I I will leave the practice. I will leave practicing medicine whenever I feel like it doesn't affect me anymore. I think anyone who's who does what we do for a living, there's no way they can say it doesn't affect them. But I also have margin in my life, like I've been preaching about forever, and I also exercise. I'm going to tell you, exercise and sleep are key. Yeah. To feeling better and to managing stress. Right. I mean, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, and I'd be crazy. But I think about this stuff all the time. I mean, I think about patients. I think about tonight I was sitting with a, a huge group of patients at my office at a support group. And, you know, I just and we were talking about COVID and we we're talking about post COVID and fatigue and all this. And they were telling their stories and the patients who had had COVID and yeah, I could come home tonight and think about that and think, well, gosh, what am I missing? I need to test her for whatever. But, you know, you just know your boundaries and your limits and you, I don't know, and you just kind of let it, you know, you just kind of let it go. Yeah. But I'm not callous. You can't be callous right. about it, right? Mm-hmm. You know that. And you're always thinking about your guests probably and, and you know, like the girl you are just talking about. But you also know that you can only do so much and you can't cure the world. This is in my world, you know, in one day, I can't fix it all in one day. It's a work in progress. Yeah. And I, I and yeah, no, I, I look yeah. at, especially with them. Like, I mean, I guess it's a little different cause I'm not in, I'm interviewing them and I'm more putting their message out to the world to help other people. I'm not necessarily maybe helping them, I guess. I mean, maybe it is is to putting their story out there and it, it's therapeutic. Oh, I think you are. You're helping people. Right, yes, no, you I'm, are. Yeah, I'm, I meant as far as the guests specifically. I meant, but as far as like people, it's more to help others that don't feel alone. These are, you know, people like you that are powerful and actually have a message and, and you know, it's to help people who are, you know, the, the, the up and coming use, the people in the very beginning that were dealing with these shitholes and we're dealing with lupus and all these different conditions and who are trying to, you know, that are on the verge of killing themselves and, and trying to talk them out of it mm. through, you know, messages of, of positive uh, speakers. Um, but see, you don't understand when you've got these people. I mean, when you've got these people on here talking, when you share your story and you know that yeah. by sharing your story, when you share your story, you are you are not only are you healing a piece of you, but you know, you're helping someone else too. Don't you, you don't, don't no, no, discount yeah. what you're doing there. Because when you allow someone to share their story, right. whoa, that's powerful. And that's healing to the person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was more comparing it as far as like what you do with individuals, whereas the people that I'm dealing with are people that are probably already better off in life. I'm not necessarily helping the person I'm interviewing. I'm more helping the people that are listening to the interview. I'm sure it is helping them too, but uh, yes, that's what I'm saying. You are helping that person, that person you're interviewing. They get to share their story and they get to heal from a piece of, from that. No, trust me. Okay. Fair enough. No, Sharing I, your story is very healing. You're helping people, you're helping them and you're helping your listeners. Right. No. And yeah, I mean, what I love about it is just to, you know, obviously get this person's story out there and to help people. But, um, you know, because, again, a lot of like what you talk about when you help with people is, 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 you know, depression, suicide. And there's so many people out there that are just Mm. even if they're not at the stage that you and I were, they're close enough and they're just hanging on by a thread. 
And it may have nothing to do with anything to do with me and my condition. It may not have anything to do with anything that you talked about. It may just be fact that, hey, there's just another woman out there and she's sad and she has two mm-hmm. kids and she just, she, she resonated with your story just off of something that we didn't even consider. It's just something basic. Um, and it's just like, well, yeah, I'm a woman and I have two kids and that's right. I probably shouldn't kill myself because I have two kids and, and, you know, they would be lost without me. And it has nothing to do with, you know, it didn't, didn't matter about all the other stuff we talked about. Just that one little thing just triggered something. And the only way we're going to keep people alive is, you know, obviously share our stories. And for me, the one thing I, you know, I'm, I'm hard on myself, but I, I give myself a lot of credit is that I'm so honest and I put my story out there because I can't expect you or anyone else to come on here and share their you know, deep, you know, story. And then me just kind of give you a half-ass story of, oh yeah, I mean, this stuff happened and I'll just imply or insinuate things, but never really give you the That's full right. throttle story. And it's like, no, like, uh, I mean, I've, I've kind of been this way for a little while, even before the podcast, but it feels good to get it out because, you know, like I said, I know there's a lot of people that are not only, I mean, mental health, especially, um, and, and, you know, we talk, we, you and I talk about it at nauseum because again, the, the times that people want to discuss this stuff is like when someone shoots up a school, no one cares about mental health otherwise, as far as, you know, in the media and the grand scheme and things. But when it comes to just average citizens and people, everyone knows what it's going on. Everyone's dealing with it all the time. And so it's like, it's just to get these important conversations and messages out there because, you know, if they're not being said and we're not having uncomfortable conversations, um, you know, not every conversation is, is a happy one. And, and if we don't have them, then we're never going to progress. So it's the point of the podcast. Like if I don't, if we don't have these conversations, then, then what's the point of living? Like we're never, we're never going to pass the baton to the next group of people, uh, the next couple of generations because, and we are, we're screwing us more and more because nowadays, we, you know, everyone always says like, well, what about the kids? You know, when it comes to all this politically correctness stuff, but it's like, you know, what we're teaching the kids now is to just be phony and lie because we don't want to have real, con- no one wants to have a white and a black person in a room and actually talk about all the shit that's going on in front of us. Instead of, we just read it, we read an article and we just go, okay, I made it up my mind. And we don't have real conversation. Yeah. So especially with mental health, it's so, I'm so passionate about it because again, how many people are out there like you that are actually making a real difference and no one knows about. And instead, you know, the the time we want to talk about it is when somebody does something terrible in a mass shooting. And then it's like, Oh, well let's get political about it. And uh, who's running. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get rid of guns or we got to, you know, do this, make regulations on this and that. And it's like, look, I'm not, look, you want to go down that road with guns and all that stuff, whatever you do your thing. But at the end of the day, you know, even with like, if, if you play grand theft auto, and then you put down the controller and go shoot up a school. You were crazy or you had problems well before you picked up that controller. And if we don't address Absolutely. that, if we, don't, if we just continue to make up excuses, you know, a lot of times parents, they, they love to take credit for their kid when their kid grows up to be a doctor or whatever, but they never, but then they blame the system and they blame music and they blame whatever when they turn out to be a serial killer or, or whatever horrible, horrifying thing that ends up turning into. And so it's like, no, we just got to address mental health right away. You know, even with like pedophilia, like if somebody is out there and they're, and unfortunately they're looking at child porn, but they haven't yet touched a kid or they haven't done anything, but yet their whole life they were molested by their parents or whatever else. It's like, well, what do you expect them to be? Instead of judging them and calling them a freak and, and God knows what else, let's try to help them. And maybe you can help them, but let's try but instead, we write them off because it's like, oh, look what he's looking at. It's like, yeah, it's gross. It's terror. It's horrible. But guess what? There's, there's, there's a small chance we can help them. 
you know, there's many school shooters that didn't shoot up schools because someone got to them. It's just we won't hear those stories because, you know. Well, yeah. and it, it, it's what we teach at, at, at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is be the one who asks the hard questions, right? Yeah. Are you thinking of killing yourself? Right. Are you thinking about dying by suicide? Which we no longer say committed suicide, by the way. Did you know that? We don't say he committed suicide because committed suicide sounds like a crime. He committed a crime, right? right? Oh, okay. We now say the new terminology is died by suicide. Oh, okay. Edwin, which was my grandfather, Ed, Edwin died by suicide. He did not commit suicide. He didn't commit a crime, but yeah. he did die by suicide. So be the one who said, who asked the person, are you, are you, are you thinking of dying by suicide? You may be the only person who asked that human the hard question. Yeah. You could be the one person who saved their life. Yeah. Because if they say, yeah, I am. Whoa. And then what are you going to do? Right? Well, then you quickly get them the, you know, the suicide crisis line, which I was so glad to see you, you know, with that on your podcast where you had, um, um, oh, you know, the, number, the suicide yeah. crisis line. You yeah. bet. Um, I mean, hands down, I keep that in my phone, but you have to be the one who, yeah. And you have to be the one who asks the hard questions. So always be the one who says, and I'm, I'm I'm talking to your listeners here. You know, if you have a friend that you think, you know, something's not right, you know, I haven't heard from them in a while or they're acting odd. And oftentimes people who are getting ready to die by suicide, they're happier than they've ever been. They've already made a decision, right? They they know the decision, what yeah. they're going to do. They're happier. They're they're calmer. They're they're everything's in order, and they're getting ready. To, I mean, if you've noticed a big change in a person, then you ask the question, and I mean, you get them the suicide crisis line immediately. And they also have a talk line, a text line. I don't know if you knew that, but seven four one seven four one is the text line, and you can text help. Home, you can text any word you want to that line and someone immediately gets back to you. Yeah, I find it more comforting to actually hear a voice so you don't feel as alone. I do too, but, you know, I mean, some people don't. They'll text, but but you've also got to have the name. I mean, you've got to have that contact in your phone to be able to share with whomever. And I've shared it with a lot of patients. I've shared it with a lot of patients who, excuse me, whose children were struggling and I was like you know there's a suicide crisis prevention hotline and they they don't even know yeah so you know and I and I shared the contact and, uh, with them but I, yes um well we got to stop yeah we like, have no idea we got to stop like stigmatizing it too because we made it to the point where it's you like bet. we're afraid to ask these questions because and you're afraid to give the answer also because it's like as soon as you say yeah I want to <laughs> kill myself the first thing you think of is oh yeah. straitjacket like you start thinking all yes. these things that are just like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm crazy and I'm, I'm a horrible person and you know, this That's and that. Right. And it's like, no man, like we got to start real, like stop. You know, one of the things I've I just kind of come up with lately is just like some part of the reason why I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable with people with disabilities or homeless people is because they're kind of a, they're, they're kind of an image of how quickly they could become one of those people and how afraid they would be to be one of those people. Again, I could get in, I can get into a car accident tomorrow and I could be double time disabled. 
You know, like it's not, it's one car accident or I can make a couple bad payments and I'm homeless. Like it's not hard to become these things. And so people are, are afraid of them. So they don't want to have the real conversations, but the reality is like it, it, they're all right there in front of you. And it's like, if you don't address the issue now, it's how these things get worse. And you know, when it comes to this mental health stuff, it's like, look, we just got to stop putting all these cutesy words on things. We got to stop trying to, to manipulate everything into the point where so no one gets offended and sad. It's like, look, somebody wants to kill themselves. Like, I don't care how you want to reword anything and this and that, and this hurts feelings and words hurt and all these cute things that people say, that's fine. But at the end of the day, this person doesn't have any self-worth and or they feel they don't have any self-worth and they do not want to live. So we can't sit here and be cutesy and have these little, you know, conversations that are just sugarcoating or beating around the bush. We actually have to address it like humans and adults. And we actually just have to have the toughest conversations we need to keep this person alive. But if we just keep bullshitting with it and ignoring it or whatever, the person's not going to be alive or we're, you know, and, and we're all going to have to live with that. And that's, that's exactly right. And as uh, most likely, I mean, this person was not born depressed. They weren't born with anxiety. They weren't born with, with all the things that are going on with them. Right. Right. They turned it on. Something happened and, and it's been ignored, whatever it is, whatever's going on, it's been ignored in that person. And it was never addressed. That's basically what the adverse childhood experience, you know, study was about how does that baby go from a happy baby born to a homeless man on the street with a sign? Mm-hmm. What happens in there? What happens in between there? We, we, we fail to look upstream to say, okay, what happened? What went wrong here? Yeah, it, it's a messed up system. It's a messed up system. It's not perfect, but hopefully, you know, the more people that like you are out here putting the message out, I mean, you're doing great work over here. You really are. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, and again, like, some people just need, you know, a hug, or they just, you know, like I said, just people just need certain things, and, and, you know, I I, I always say, like, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest qualities I have is an imagination and and an ability to put myself in anyone's shoes, even if I don't know exactly how they're feeling or don't know exactly how to ever live that kind of life. I could try. And I try to consider every outcome, good or bad. Like even when someone put, I'm so open-minded to the point, someone can tell me something so asinine and so crazy. I'll literally, I'll consider it. Doesn't mean I'll go with it. Doesn't mean whatever. I, I'm, I'll go down any rabbit hole of anything just to, just to see where, how far my mind can go. And, you know, as a person, you know, we talked about it kind of yesterday, just about, you know, a girl in school called me, you know, she said that she wouldn't mess with me because she thought I'd be the white boy that would shoot up the school. And again, I yes, said to you, like, yes. I wasn't far from the truth. And the reality is, like, if we got, we got to stop, you know, writing people off. We got to start considering how this stuff can happen. And it's like, okay, you know, yes, do we condone rape? No. But how can a person want to rape? Well, if, if every girl in his life just turns him down and treats him like shit, and again, it doesn't excuse him to go out and commit the crime. But if every girl just completely pushes him away, calls him ugly, and makes him feel like just a complete animal and a piece of shit... He might want to rape and he might want to go down that hole. And, 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 you know, same with the shooting thing. Like if, if you have access to guns and every person bullies you and pushes you around and treats you like crap and you just want to get your get back and you want revenge, what are you going to do? And again, doesn't mean you're always going to do that, but that's how these things happen. They don't just come from, 
oh, one day they're born and they're a school shooter. It doesn't happen that way. Bingo. Bingo. That's what I was just saying. That's right. Now, there's some genes and stuff passed down, but in general, these these things, no. And and a lot of it starts from with with home. Amen to that. It starts at home. Yes, it does. So it's just like chronic disease and autoimmune disease. If you weren't born with it, right, it gets turned on slowly. High blood pressure doesn't just happen, right? right? It just doesn't just boom, boil up, and there you have it. It takes decades to get these things diagnosed and or to get these things to turn into high blood pressure or lupus or whatever, whatever chronic disease you have going on. You're exactly correct with the mental health. Yeah, I mean, look it at- didn't just happen, and yeah. we miss it. We miss it. These kids are rush through school. I mean, their children, their, their home lives are, I mean, and there are people who are raised in, in very stable homes. I mean, there are people who, who commit horrible crimes who are raised in very, right. very stable homes. I mean, that doesn't, yes. And, no. and, but something is amiss. Something has happened. And, and yes, you're, you're exactly right. And, and nothing excuses that. No. But if that kid was beaten every day, if the bully if, if the, you know, the dad or the mom or whomever comes home drunk at night and beats the mom and beats him and is drunk and is violent and all that. I mean, if this child grows up in it, I mean. Yeah. How do you think wh- he's going to treat knows? him? Like, how do you, you bet. Yeah, expect he's just going to be a good you father bet. or a good boyfriend or a husband? Like, no, he's probably going to be just like his dad, a drunk and a, you know, a woman beater. And again, does, he might not be. But again, when when you're young and you're susceptible to... Just, you know, because you know, people always assume PTSD is just always equated with, you know, soldiers. But there's so many forms of PTSD. And again, if there's a kid who's old enough to, to realize what's going on and he sees his mom just getting her, her face caved in by his dad, two people that brought him into this world, the two people he's supposed to love the most, uh, and he will always have an attachment for him. And this is what he sees. Like, what, what do you want him to be? And again, he could still turn out well, even if he didn't get any help. But... Most likely, probably not. That's right. I feel like I'm the exception, not the rule. (laughs) A lot of things, (laughs) because it was rough for me. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, there were people who had worse childhoods than me, and I think people always discount that, right? They say, oh, you know, I mean, somebody had it better or had it worse. Absolutely. But, you know, given my, my A score of a six, you know, I should be an IV drug user. I should be on on drugs right now. Should already be depressed. Maybe even died by suicide. Lots of things. I do feel like that that I have have beat the odds for sure. Um, but not everyone does. And and I didn't really have any help doing that because again, I grew up in a shithole, <laughs> chaos. And I don't want that to sound. You know, I mean, I had a home. I had a nice home actually. I had a, a mom and a dad. They were divorced. But, you know, there was, there was, I was molested as a, as a, as a teenager, well, before teenage, as, as a grade schooler by my, by a stepfather. And, and, and my mom looked at me one day, you know, and my mom is still alive, but she has Alzheimer's and, you know, but she looked at me one day square in the eye and her words to me were, you caused me to lose the only man I ever loved. Wow. What? Yeah. I was a teenager. And I looked at, and I was, uh, I was in grade school when, when he molested me, and I, and I, I, I never said a word. From the, but probably, I was probably thirteen, and she was already remarried to the third husband, which was physically abusive to both of us, not just me. 
Um, but I never addressed that, but I lived with that and I still live with it. Now I can say it and not get upset about it. But I was 30 something years old before I ever said anything to her about that, you know, and she never apologized. And, 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 and my mom did the best she could, you know, but what, I mean, those are the kinds of things that turn kids on their, uh, you know, their worlds upside down. But mm. for whatever reason, uh, maybe it's genetics. I don't know. I mean, I don't have the greatest genetics on both sides, but may, I don't know why. I seem to have overcome a lot of it, you know, and become a productive member of society. I have my own issues, right? I've spent decades in, in therapy, hounding out, you know, hammering out the hard stuff. But, you know, there's millions upon millions of people out there with very similar stories who right. have not survived. Well, and I think I, I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough is, you know, there's like, let's say athletes. There's certain freak athletes where you're just like, OK, that's just something that I don't know how you got that, but that's it's <laughs> freakish. But I, I think yeah. people, I think everybody, you know, we're well, not everybody, but people, certain people are born with certain qualities and certain things, you know, and maybe it's just something that you have that's just something that can get you out of these circumstances and makes you, you know, you, you could push past all this. I mean, um, you know, some of us are stronger. It, there's just, you know, I, every, every time you see these like post-apocalyptic type shows and movies, you know, kind of the, you know, the, what kind of what they're getting at is okay all the weak people die and the strong people kind of stay alive to kind of preserve life and, you know, fight whatever zombies or whatever it is, but they are the strong people and they're the one and the weak ones that are still alive are probably going to die because they're too busy trying to pillage and, and do terrible things. But the strong and the smart are the ones that are going to kind of keep the foundation building, continue to fight against all the horrible things that are coming their way. Um, and, you know, and it, it, even though there's no apocalypse, even though, I mean, you could say COVID was something, but you know, we, there's certain people that are built with a certain, just met, especially mental strength and just, you know, and it's just a way of, you know, like I said, you probably shouldn't be alive or you probably, you see, you know, like, again, I want you to kind of explain what the A score is. Cause I did mine and I got a five and you got a five. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, can you, yeah, but can you explain obviously what it stands for and then, uh, you know, what's the purpose of it? Well, the adverse, so it stands for adverse childhood experiences and it stemmed from 1998 yes kaiser permanente and there was a doctor called um dr paletti basically what he discovered kaiser permanente got involved in it later but which is a, a healthcare system out in california was that what happens to you before the age of 18 Right. Right. That's all the questions affect, they ask. That. Yeah. That's exactly right. Can affect your future as an adult. Period. And so they came up. He came up with ten questions. There's a long story on this, and your your, your reader or your listeners can can search adverse childhood experiences and take the question and learn the history of it. It's quite fascinating. It actually uh, a little backstory on it. The average age I think was 56 years old, and it was basically white middle class to upper middle class um, patients in Southern California, San Diego. So these are not um, lower class. These are not black. Af these are not African-Americans. They're not Hispanics. They're not anything. They're not people on food stamps. I mean, it's generally white middle class to upper middle class people. And what they discovered was that 
adverse childhood experiences, they put 10 questions out there, right? Were you abused? Were, you know, were you molested or, or raped before the age of 18? Were your parents divorced? Did you ever feel unsafe? I mean, did you ever go hungry? Did you ever feel like your family didn't care for you? You know, it's 10, 10 different questions and, and we could talk about forever. But what they discovered during this was that adverse childhood experiences are very common, but very unrecognized. The adverse childhood experiences are extremely predictable of how an adult will be able to function socially. Their well-being, their health, their risk for diseases and death. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And the combination of ACEs, um, the, the, the whole combination makes adverse childhood experiences the leading determinant of health social well-being, and the economy of the nation. The American Academy of, of Pediatrics, one of the former presidents of it, says that adverse childhood experiences are the single largest public health crisis in the United States right. that we do not address. Every single patient in my office now gets an ACE score because it is a huge predictor of depression, anxiety, heart disease, cardiovascular disease. What we discovered during that study was that 67% of the adult population have at least one ACE. 12 point, I think it's like 12 and a half percent, almost 13% um, have four or more ACE scores, four mm. or more. Wow. That's huge. And there's a huge, you know, the higher the ACE, the worse the health outcomes. If you have four or more adverse childhood experiences, you are 12 and a half times as likely to attempt suicide. Wow. 12 and a half times. You are 10.3 times more likely to use injection drugs. You are 7.4 more times likely to become an alcoholic. Now, have they what? done have they done tests on, you know, like like black people and, and lower class white oh, people? Oh yeah, now they you bet they have. Okay, so Absolutely. the statistics are a little and, more accurate now. Yes, yes. And this original study was 17,000 patients. It was a huge study. And then the um, the CDC got involved in it. So they actually got connected in too. The whole history of it is fascinating. And I'm going to tell you what happened. He ran, Dr. Folletti was, I think, an internal medicine doctor. He ran a weight loss clinic in Southern California, in San Diego. And he noticed that people were losing 100 pounds, 200 pounds, even more than 200 pounds, but they were dropping out of the study, dropping out after they're losing all this weight. So we started bringing people in that had dropped out. And he made a mistake asking a woman one day who had lost, I don't know, 150 pounds or something. And he said to her, I, I, I hope I got this right. How old were you? He said, he asked, he was asking, he said, how old were you when you first had sex? And she said, four years old. What? Four years old. What he meant to say was, how much did you weigh when you first had sex? He didn't mean to say, how old were you? And he, and, and he said, what? Four years old? And she said, yeah, my dad raped me my entire life. Wow. What? Okay, so 
that was only the second person that he ever knew that he ever knew in his practice who 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 had an incest right history right. well okay fast forward as he started bringing more and more people in what he found out was these people were molested they were raped they were beat all these questions he kept asking these same questions that he accidentally asked this woman and it and then he asked his his other doctors in the clinic you know i don't something's wrong you all need to ask these questions we'll come to find out these people had horrible experiences growing up and as they lost this weight as they lost the weight they started getting noticed again right people were whistling out to them people were wanting to go out with them and they as they gained the weight after their trauma they were they were no longer seen right they were obesely morbidly obese Right. Yeah, they weren't desirable. And right. as they started losing this weight, they started getting noticed and they started their and, and they couldn't tolerate it. And so they dropped out of the program and they literally would gain a hundred pounds. Wow. This is what this was the very beginning in the eighties of the adverse childhood. And this led to the largest study that we've had so far on this. And they've named it adverse childhood experiences. But I mean it is it is it should be this test should be given to every single person. It's not a test, it's a questionnaire. Every single child in a pediatrics office. Because what we know is that the children's answers are gonna be different than the parents' answers. Right. Many times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I, I think if you have four no, I was, Go just, ahead. Gonna, I was just gonna say, because I mean, especially with all the scores and even just everything we've talked about, like one of the things that I think a lot of people don't really want to try to uh, come to terms with is that every good person has some bad in them and every bad person has some good in them. And right. everybody has experiences on how they got the way they are. And so, you know, you, you'll hear some things like, oh, well, Hitler was also smart. And, and you know, well, he yeah, had to be yeah. smart to do what he did, like to, to make all those people follow him. That That's not something you just do. You just wake up one morning and go, you know, I'm just going to lead a whole country to just do horrible things. And, you know, then they said he was a painter and he was also you know, very charitable. And of course, obviously to certain charities, but regardless, he was also a very horrible person. But what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot of good people running around that just have a lot of dad, bad shit in their head. And, you know, and I talked about it in that you one episode, episode with me where it's like, I was so lonely and I was so sad and angry that I just started looking at girls and go, I want to rape her. And I never would do it. But the fact that that thought crossed my mind and I'm a person that would never do it. But the fact that the thoughts even there in the first place is like, wow, like how quick can we go down that road of the darkest, worst shit possible? And even go back to what we originally talked about, just like when, you know, the power goes out, when bad things start to happen, you know, you get, you get the kind of seed real humanity and what we can we can turn into. And, you know, if you're hungry, yes, cannibalism is still a real thing. It's just people don't right. need to eat people because we have grocery stores. But you That's saw right. a little bit in COVID, you started to see grocery stores, you know, one of the first things we just saw was there was no toilet paper. So you would have some asshole that would go into the grocery store when they restocked and buy, you know, a whole, like all of the toilet paper on the shelf because God forbid he can't wipe his ass with toilet paper. But, you know, people... People just, when, when all the amenities that we have, such as the internet, we have all these things, they start running out, we don't have it, and it's not, and now we actually have to go out and hunt, and we actually have to live how we used to live, 
none of us are, or most of us are not capable of that. So then our human, like our, our, our actual, you know, back to being just being the selfishness and, and all the things that are deep down and seated in our bodies that we kind of, at least the, most of us, the good ones, push it down and we don't deal with it because it's like, well, I'm, I would never kill someone or I would never eat a person. But you would never, you wouldn't say that if you were hungry and to the point where you had to starve to death or kill a person to eat them. And, you know, it again, I know it's very dark, but the reality of it is like even with these scores, like, you know, you see how a person can develop. You read all these 10 questions. And it's all about abuse and sexual abuse and, you know, what's going on in your household and family and adults in your life. And it's like, yeah, this is how people turn into serial killers or how they turn into rapists or shoot, you know, school shooters and how they turn into, you know, suicide victims and, and all these different things. And it's like, well, if you would just address it and we start to kind of even the people that are crazy and are the people that are all messed up, we should study their brains. We should see how their minds work because you, Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't just turn into Jeffrey Dahmer because of just, well, you know, he had a great life, you know. People, there are people just, they go down these rabbit holes and, and their life turns into what it is. And, you know, we like to blame porn and all, you know, action movies and all these things, but there's, there's something else there. And again, I, some of it is, is a, a physical, you know, chromosome and all these different things that we're studying, but there's also just life experience. And, um, you know, you have good life experience, you might turn into a good person. You have bad life experience in your whole life. Like again, if you're, if you're a, a person and your mother and father who brought you into this world and all they did was molest you your whole life, do you, ex right. do you expect them to be a good citizen? Because I don't, but you also don't okay. get a pass if you could start molesting other children. So that's right. That's what I said. You got to get them before you. We, and again, e even the people that have committed it, we got to not completely write them off. We actually have to study them and figure out how we get to this point. Because if we just say, oh, they're pedophiles and they're horrible people. Yeah, I get that. But it comes from something. And, you know, it, you, you know, I, you know, I was, I said I was molested in school, but I was lucky enough that I wasn't molested by my mother and father. Because if I was, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would be a piece of shit and doing horrible things and probably in jail. Um, you know, I, I lived in Philadelphia and there's drugs everywhere and I had good cousins and good people that kept me out of it. But I could have gone down that road. I didn't. I had people that sure. looked out for me. But if I didn't have that, I'd probably be into drugs. I don't know. You can't predict these things. But, you no. know, again, if you have an open mind and you actually, you know, actually care and you want to save people and you want to, you know, have a better humanity, well... You know, these scores and these things, it, it puts it puts different thoughts into people's minds and, and it, you know, it opens eyes. But we have to do more of it because, again, you know, like what you do is great, um, but there's not enough people doing that. Because, like I said, how many people, look at, like you said, how many people, 800% people are calling the hotlines because they, they want to die. Sure. Or they're just super sad or, or whatever. Sure. Sure. There are two amazing books that I would highly recommend your listeners. But, you know, check into um, The Deepest Well by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. The Deepest Well is her experience as a pediatrician with adverse childhood experiences. It is a fascinating book. She is a phenomenal pediatrician in a very, very um, tough area of San Francisco to work in. And her story of learning about adverse childhood experiences outside of school, not while she was in school, of course, because we usually don't learn this stuff in school. Right. Oh, it's a phenomenal book. And then the other one is The Body Keeps 
the score. Oh my gosh. That book is an incredible book by, oh my gosh, I just went blank. Just went blank on his name. Daggone it. He's, 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 he's not American, but it doesn't matter. The Body Keeps Score is still a number one seller on New York Times. It goes back and forth on New York Times for 15 years. It's an excellent, and the body does keep score. The body keeps the score of the trauma in your life. Those two great books are, are, are phenomenal books for people to read to, to realize that you know you're not broken we weren't born broken we were born happy babies even if we were in the womb and there was a lot of stress and mom was getting beaten and bad things were happening i mean we were born babies and babies are innately happy babies right you're not broken and i want people to know that that you know, you're, you're, you're perfectly designed, if you believe in God, you're perfectly designed in his image, and you're not broken. And whatever's happened to you, we can turn around. And whatever you've turned on, I am living proof. You can turn it off or turn it down greatly in your life. But it takes a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of work. But I just think that people believe they're broken, and they're not ever going to get better. That's not true. That's not true. You, you, you're not broken and there's always a way out. There's always a way to figure out, you know, what's going on or some, some way to, to and, and there's plenty of free resources out there, right? AFSP.org, you know, you can go straight to, to them. You can call the crisis line if it's a, if it's a mental health suicide thing. I mean, there's help. Right. Is, and that, is that author? I just want people to. Is that author's name yes. Bessel? That's it. Bessel van der Van der Kolk. Yes. Yeah. I, you, thank you. Oh, The Body Keeps the Score is a fantastic book. And I actually read it years ago. I just finished listening to it again last week. Um, but The Body Keeps the Score and The Deepest Well, those are two incredible books on you're not responsible for what happened to you before the age of 18 for sure i mean you know these are books on aces but before the age of 18 but you're certainly not responsible for any violence that happened to you and um your body's designed to heal itself but let's let's give it what it needs you know and like you were talking you know maybe we need to set some margin maybe we need to get rid of some soul suckers in our life right i'm a big believer that you don't have to, you, you teach people how to treat you. And if people aren't treating you well, you have the right to set the boundary and, and, and eliminate them from your life. Yeah. People don't believe that. And they don't realize that yeah. you don't have to deal with those people. No, not at all. No, no, not at all. But we don't, we rarely, we rarely cut loose the people that are causing us a lot of damage and stress in our life, but you have the right to do that. And, you know, um, I, I just, I just, I, I love this. I love what we do. I love what you're doing. I know it's been a long time here, so we probably, no, I, I still have some up, more questions but, for you, but you're, you're good. Oh, okay. What is it? Just what a we got? couple rapid fire, which is some things we talked about that we never really got to. Um, so you said you kind of changed your diet. Like, can you kind of, t- go a little in depth on like what you like obviously what you eat and what you cut it what you cut out so initially the very first thing that i was asked to remove were the top seven foods in the united states that are inflammatory triggers gluten dairy soy corn sugar eggs and peanuts 
Those are the top seven foods in the U.S. that create systemic inflammation in our body. So he told me, you got to do an elimination diet, Danny. You got to cut those out. Well, guess what? Gluten, dairy, and sugar, gluten, dairy, sugar, and eggs, four of the top seven foods were absolutely destroying my body. Eleven years later, dairy and eggs and gluten are still on my food sensitivity, and I, my body still reacts to them. I don't like them. They don't, my body doesn't like them. So that was the first thing that I did. And I learned to cook really, uh, not really well. You have to eat, you have to cook at home. If you want to be healthy, you have to cook at home. If you are letting someone control your health out of a drive through window, you are sadly mistaken if you think the health of the food industry is concerned about your health. They are not at all. They're number one, um, um, number one mission is to get you addicted to that Chick-fil-A, right? Or that Chipotle or that Sonic or what have you. So you, you need to learn to cook at home one ingredient food. What does that mean? God made food, one ingredient food, a piece of chicken, a piece of salmon, a Brussels sprout, a broccoli. That's one ingredient food, not packaged, processed, bagged, canned, fake, man-made food. It's killing us, it's killing everybody in this country. It's shortening everyone's lifespan. Yeah. If your food was made in a plant by a man, <clears throat> it's it's creating horrific inflammation in your body. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm I'm trying to figure out some of that myself because it just sucks because everything that's bad for you is what tastes good, and then everything I feel that tastes good or it tastes bad and seems to be good for me. So like, I'm trying to balance that out. And I mean, I love fruit and salads and stuff, but good. you know, I good. also like to go to the Olive Garden. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And those breadsticks I used to eat. But if I ate a breadstick from Olive Garden right now, I would, pr- well, I mean, I, I, I've spent over a decade healing my gut. So I wouldn't be sick like I used to be, but I wouldn't feel good. My joints would hurt. When I eat gluten, my hands hurt. When I eat eggs, I bloat like there's no tomorrow. Lots of bloating, lots of gas. When I eat dairy, same thing. Joint pain, bloating, gas. That's what happens to me. Um, and that's what happens to most people. But here's the thing. It's so slow. We spend decades destroying our gut, right? Mm-hmm. We, as children, we're fed McDonald's through the drive-thru on our way. Well, McDonald's is not interested in Danny Williamson's health, I can tell you that. And no. it's loaded with gluten and dairy and sugar and salt and fat, all the things that are addictive. Every single bit of that, that food, the food that's in those vending machines, the food, McDonald's, oh, all yeah. of that food is created in a lab. Hey, we do sell water. We do sell water. That's right. There you go. It (laughs) is made in a lab. So you are a laboratory chemistry experiment. There is a reason that your Chick-fil-A or your Cracker Barrel or your Olive Garden tastes the same in Nashville, Tennessee, as it does in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Because it's made in a lab. Nobody's food tastes the same all over the country, right? I can cook a fried chicken here, and it's gonna, mine's going to taste different than hers, than your mother's. There's a reason. It's a lab experiment. It's terrible. It's horrific. And what's happened to us in the last 20 years, health-wise, our lifespan is going down. 
we have this, this is the first generation of children right now, these young children, it's the first generation of children who are going to die before their parents. This is the first time in the history of the United States that we will be burying our children before us. And we did it to them. Yeah. And even when you say that, like, you know, when I said today, I went to Olive Garden with my supervisor, we're out, out on the road and you go look at every place out there other than probably Panera bread. Everything out there is completely unhealthy. Like it's all Cracker Barrel, like you said, Olive Garden, McDonald's, Wendy's, all that is out there. There's really no choices. And it's funny that you said, you know, you just went McDonald's because my my grandma, I guess there's a grilled chicken sandwich or something that's a little healthier than the fried stuff. And so she went there to get it the other day. She said, well, they said, well, we took that off the menu. And then another thing I realized they took off the menu is their side salads. (laughs) So it's like they have nothing healthy on their menu. And again, I'm not sitting here shitting on McDonald's because I use McDonald's from time to time. That's right. That's but, right. But I mean, it, it it's it's like, wow, even the things that they try to be healthy, is like they took all that off too. Uh, they replaced it with pastries. And I'm not even kidding. Like they have all these new pastries you bet. now. And it's like, holy you bet. hell. So gluten, gluten is addictive, right? Gluten is a protein in barley, wheat, and rye. Whenever gluten, whenever you know, God made this earth, if you believe in God, he put gluten in three things, barley, wheat, and rye. That's it. That's the only three foods or grains, excuse me, that gluten is in naturally. Gluten acts like morphine in your body. It turns on the same receptors as morphine. It's addictive. There's a reason you can go to Olive Garden and eat four breadsticks before you ever even know what happened. That's the gluten. Gluten turns on the morphine receptors, and the more you eat, the more you want. Well, then you crash. Your blood sugar crashes. You're tired after you eat it. Gluten makes food fatter, fluffier, and softer. Exactly what it's done to the United States population. (laughs) Fatter, fluffier, and softer. Yeah. Wheat in in years past and hundreds of years ago was not fat, fluffy, and soft. It was dense and thick because there was lower gluten content in it. In the late 80s, the food industry realized that gluten was addictive. That's when they started adding gluten to everything. It's in your soy sauce. It's in extra. It's extra in your bread. The wheat is bread, is, is, is um, bread with extra gluten in it. Right to make it fatter, fluffier, and softer. Jesus's wheat was very dense and thick and crumbly because it had very little gluten. It did have gluten, but it had very little gluten. Mm-hmm. Our bread's not. If we had a, if you got a breadstick at Olive Garden that was crumbly and thick and dense, you'd be horrified. That the soft, squishy gluten. It, it's extremely addictive, and and people say, oh, it's just a fad. No, it's not a fad. It is in your soy sauce, your salad dressing. Your it's in everything that's processed, packaged, bag, can, fake because it's addictive. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. And when I went gluten free eleven years ago, my gosh, my whole world turned around. But people tell me, Danny, what am I going to eat? That's what I eat: gluten, dairy, sugar, eggs, corn. Right? Corn chips, corn tortillas, corns in everything, corn syrup. So, so that's the first thing you do is you, you do an elimination diet and, and you, you learn how to cut those foods out and you learn how to eat fresh food. Well, I'm on, I'm on a very limited budget, Danny. I don't have any money. Yeah, that's okay. If you're on food stamps, guess what? All these 
take food stamps. Um, Trader Joe's, Kroger, Walmart, they all take food stamps. You can eat. Walmart, by the way, is the number one buyer of organic fruits and vegetables in the world. But who goes to Walmart to buy organic fruits and vegetables? They're always on clearance. (laughs) (laughs) They're always on clearance with my kids and I. We always laugh because it's like, oh, gosh, we got good deals here because people don't (laughs) think to buy it. But, you know, that grilled chicken sandwich that your mother liked, I mean, and this isn't her. You're only as good as what your chicken ate. That chicken is not a free-range, pasture-raised, no-bad-corn chicken. That is a chicken that is raised literally with thousands of other chickens side-by-side, side, lots of lots of uh, disease in there, so they're given antibiotics like there's no tomorrow, right, to stop them because they peck each other. They peck each other, and they create a lot of um, infection and abscesses and all of that. You're only as good as what your animal ate. Right. Oh, yeah, and the cows, you're like they're the, constantly in, injecting them with all kind of stuff. And you, you know, bet they are. That's part you of bet. the problem. So that's with hard. The, yeah, that's yeah. more expensive. It's more expensive to eat an organic grass-fed cow. So guess what? You eat less meat. You eat a little less meat, but you eat better quality. And then you go and you find, you figure out, okay, what are the, know your farmer, learn your farmer, go to the local farmer's market. There are ways to get healthy that don't cost. A bloody fortune. Remember, I was on food stamps for five years. And so when I got out of school, I was still on food stamps. But I had to learn, you know, how to how to navigate that system and try to eat fresher food in season. It's key. Right. Um, my Baby la- steps. Yeah. No. And uh, so what, what are the two more questions. Uh, what uh, how, how do your conditions affect you to this day, like, especially with like lupus? You know, I just interviewed a woman, a friend of mine, who is Jessica. Her, she has sure. lupus and, you know, obviously it's a it's a chronic illness that affects a lot, yes. especially women. Um, you bet. It's, it's Eight a, to ten times more women than men. And especially, mm-hmm. you know, women of, of color. Uh, mm-hmm. They're more you likely bet. as well. So, um, so yeah, how, how do your different conditions that you have, all, all the different ones you do have, uh, how, how are they affecting you? Like, how are you balancing them out to this day? Well, currently, I don't have any symptoms of any disease. I irritable bowel, depression, lupus, chronic itching, which I dealt with for years, because I've put those under the radar. Now, IBS is 100% healed because I healed the gut, right? Itching is gone. I don't itch unless I eat a food that my body hates, that I'm really sensitive to. Gut and skin are 100% connected. Loop connected lupus is still there, but I don't take any medicine. I haven't been on any medicine in, oh, good Lord, 15 years, I guess, for lupus. Because, again, I healed the gut. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect by any means. I drank red wine tonight at the support group meeting. You know, I'm not perfect. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with red wine. How but dare um, you. <laughs> I know, right? I drank, guess what, though? I drank clean-crafted, no pesticide, no sugar-added wine. So, oh, okay. there's, you know, you and I could talk for hours about this. But right, right. how does it affect me today? Physically, I don't feel like I'm affected. I don't feel like I have any symptoms going on. I'll have some joint pain if I eat sugar too much sugar or gluten or you know i don't eat gluten but if i if dairy slips in but really and truly i don't have any symptoms but but how it's affected me it's made me very very aware and very 
conscious and very cognizant. That's the word I was trying to come up with for my patients to say, guess what? You too can feel as good as I do, but here's what you need to do. So I've been very blessed that I was really sick. I was depressed. I was sick physically, emotionally, but I turned it around and I did it. It's not fast because it didn't happen overnight, right? It took me a while also to, to heal this, but I've done it by healing the gut, working on my mental health, you know, all the things I talked about, decreasing stress, sleeping, things like that. So I don't feel like it's affected me, but I'm grateful for that journey. Because had I not had that journey, I wouldn't be the provider that I am today Absolutely. for health, for patients. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so at the very end, I always like to let the guests just kind of give a little whatever inspirational words or something to the people that are, you know, like the up and coming Danny, the the one that's suffering and, and you know, in a shithole or wherever, you know, some <laughs> something similar to what you were going through, whether it's molestation or drugs or, or whatever, you know, certain disabilities or whatever, but they're in a lot of pain and, you know, they're probably flirting with the hotline idea and all that, but they're, you know, at their last, maybe just the Danny that was ready to, you know, drive off a cliff. Um, That's right. Yeah. So do you, do you have any like, uh, you know, I don't know, special words for that gal or fella? Well, again, you're not broken. It's the biggest thing that I can say over and over you were designed, you were perfectly designed, you were made beautifully, you're, you're not broken. And you know, every season ends. This is a season in your life. Maybe you grew up in a shithole of chaos like I did. Maybe you, you know, maybe, um, but you are not broken. There's a way out. You may not be able to come see me. You may not be able to see a functional medicine provider, but you know, you can Start to turn things around slowly, very simple. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things is get enough rest. We don't rest. We don't sleep. We don't sleep the way we should. But the thing is, is your body is designed to heal itself. It wants to right ship. It wants to mm-hmm. give it what it needs. And you can start real simply. You, if, if, if we're going to start with diet, you know, start with an elimination diet. Cut out white foods. How about that? Gluten, dairy, sugar. How about that? Cut out three things. Oh, my gosh. You can't do that, Danny. Well, then cut out one thing. Cut out dairy. That's probably, you know, that's real, not easy, but, you know, it's easy to know what dairy is. And, you know, your body wants to to be right. And also reach out. There are a lot of places out there with free counseling or Mm -hmm. sliding scale counseling right that for people maybe who don't have insurance or what have you reach out because there are professionals who know how to help you walk through whatever journey it is that you're on and counseling for me was a lifesaver an absolute lifesaver and and if you come up with a count come up to you know find a counselor that you don't really like well then there you go it's fine Move on from that one and find one you do like. You don't have to stick with anyone, any counselor, or any person that, that's not helping you become yeah. the best person that you are. What I was going to say to you earlier is like you basically are a therapist. You do a lot of... You, oh, gosh. You just have no idea. 
And in Nashville or in Tennessee, as a nurse practitioner, we have to have a medical director in our clinic, right? In Kentucky, where I have a license as well, I don't have to. I can practice on my own. But my medical director in Nashville at my clinic is a, a psychiatrist. He's a functional medicine psychiatrist, regular degree like me, but he, he stepped out of the boat years ago. And he says to me all the time, Danny, you ha- you do more psych work than a psychiatrist. Because he reads my charts, you know, part of my charts. He said, you're more of a psychiatrist than I am. And, I, and I'm like, no, you're the psychiatrist. You get paid the psychiatrist money. I don't. Right. And he said, but I'm just telling you, you're a psych- Yeah, yes. And, and you know, find a healthcare provider out there that walks with you through this journey that asks you the questions, right? And that, that wants to help you get better. I work for you as your healthcare provider. And if you don't like me, you have the right to find a provider who's going to help you get better. Who's going to ask you the hard questions, right? Right. Who's going to find out about your childhood. Who's going to find out about your diet. Find a provider who just does, who does not want to just give you a pill for every symptom because we treat symptoms. We don't treat root causes. There's a root cause to your depression. There's a root cause to your anxiety. There's a root cause to your, you know, high blood pressure, your diabetes, your lupus. Find a provider who helps you do that. That's probably the biggest advice that I have right there. You don't have to be stuck with a piss poor, tired, I think I know it all, God complex provider. Right. There are plenty of us out there who want to help you feel better and walk this journey to healing. Right. No, what I was going to say about you, I think you kind of give people the, the kind of what people want out of therapy without all the bullshit, mm-hmm. without, you know, mm-hmm. how does that make you feel? Or, Hey, you know, you're here for your, Oh, your hours up. Uh, you know, yeah. th- cause again, yeah. I, I had a really good therapist and I, I still have friends with her to this day and we end up exchanging numbers. And again, obviously that's not something you normally would do, but she, she, she went, above and beyond for me and she really got to know me and she told me about her and she, she broke a lot of rules for me, but I knew she cared and I knew she was there for me and I knew she genuinely wanted to hear how my day went or or what my life was about. And so you, you kind of get the connection you build it and you actually, you know, people are opening up to you about their entire life. And it's like when a lot of times when you go to therapy and I, I don't recommend not going to therapy, but you got it. Sometimes it takes a while to find the right therapist because there's a lot of people, you bet. especially if they're not in your age group, they may not understand you. Like for me, I always That's liked right. having a woman cause I like the opposite perspective cause I know what a man thinks, but I kind of like to know what a woman thinks about certain topics and so on. But I wanted someone within my age group, at least within, you know, 15 years because I, you know, they would understand me more than, you know, someone who's a little older and they grew up in a different time and, and so on and so on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you kind of go, you, you have the, the better touch. You get to get close to them and get to know them and, and they actually grow to like you and they don't feel like you're looking at your watch, realizing, oh, your next client's coming up, which you don't even really know their name until you read the book. Whereas, you know, your schedule, mm-hmm. you know, these people, you get to know them and, and you care about them um, and they care about you and, and they, you know, they, they, they trust you. Whereas, you know, a lot of That's people right. don't necessarily trust their therapist. They just go to either get out of the house or get something off their mind or whatever, but it's just kind of something they do. Um, even if it helps or doesn't help, but you know, I mean, again, I, th- I think therapy is very important, but I think for like what you do and just getting, like I said, getting to know the person and actually giving a shit about them, 
Um, especially when you're in that kind of trauma and you're, you're just, you know, you're going through so many horrible feelings and, and thoughts about yourself and, and life. And somebody just comes in and goes, oh, how does that make you feel? It's like, dude, really? You're actually making me want to do this even more so. So, um, yeah, like I, think, I think what you do is amazing. And like I said, I'm, Thank you. I'm very happy that we've become friends. And I'm, I'm happy I can say I have a friend who has an assistant. That's very fancy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a new thing for me. When I got the publishing deal for the book, my world got a little bit crazy because, you know, I work full time. I mean, my first job is a nurse practitioner, seeing patients all day, every day. But then I got this book and I got a deal and they love the book and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and, and so I, I had to have some help because I couldn't do this alone. And, and they want you to sell books when you get a publishing deal, right? So they want you on podcasts or they want you on TV shows. So anyway, yes, I have a, it's, it's hilarious to me to say I have an assistant. What? I grew up in a shithole of chaos. We don't have assistants, right. right? So, oh, yeah, but it's, it's funny. Yes, oh. I do, and she is the best. She's fantastic, so That's I'm awesome. very blessed. Before I yes. forget, what is your book called? Oh, my gosh, Wild and Well, Danny's uh. Six Common Sense Steps to Practical Healing. I'm sorry, Radical Healing. What in the world? See, she, she got Wild, my po- wild and Well. Earlier, she got my podcast wrong, and now she's getting her own yeah, book wrong. Yeah, and then I get my own book wrong. See, it's not <laughs> you. It's me. Well, I was it's talking about common sense, practical medicine. Yeah, it was the wine I had at the Hashimoto's <laughs> Um Yeah, Wild and Well, Danny's Six Common Sense Steps to Radical Healing. And the whole first part of the book is on adverse childhood experiences and trauma and how it set me up. for. It could have set me up for a lifetime of trouble. And then each chapter is on Eat Well sleep well, move well, poop well, decrease stress, cultivate community. I mean, it, I, quite frankly, I think it's a great book. And I wrote it as common sense, practical medicine. So anybody could read it. Anybody. Awesome. It's not written for healthcare providers. I mean, it's written for the lay person to say, whoa, if this little girl from Gilbertsville, Kentucky can get heal her body, you know, with, with food, and decreasing stress and addressing her traumas, you know, I can too. I mean, I, I grew up in a, yeah. So I, it, I'm excited. I've always wanted to write a book. I have a lot of words, clearly. Clearly. I talk a lot. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't voted most talkative for nothing my senior year in high school. But, you know, it's, it's great. If I died tonight, well, I hope I don't because I would love to see the book go number one. But if I, got, if I died tonight, you promise me you promote that book and that book goes number one. As I'm dead. What is that post humusly? Humusly? How what do they say? Anyway, whatever. Well, I'm promoting um, your book but anyway, regardless, but yeah. Um, thank you, my friend. But yeah, it's, it really is, and, and I'm real. I'm real blessed that Amazon. Of course, it's on there. But I just learned last week that Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Parnassus Books, and Powell Books all picked it up, and I awesome. that was a blessed for an unknown author. Yeah. Nobody knows who Danny Williamson is, so. Yeah, we have a great book, but I have a great website, dannywilliamson.com. They can sign up. They can go there, get our newsletter. And I, and I do a lot on social media. I give away so much free information every single week, health education, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. So we're, we're really plugged in because I know what it's like to have no money. I know what it's like to, to literally go from day to day. And, and, and so... I feel like when you've been blessed, 
when you've been given much, you better give back much. And so daily, I educate people on various health topics. And so I just feel really blessed. I'm at a good season in my life and I've been able to help a lot of people. And, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help people. Well, you deserve all the things that you get in life. You're an awesome person. I'm very happy to meet you. And, uh, thank you. We'll obviously keep in touch while outside the podcast and, you know, um, but yeah, thank you for doing this. This was really fun. Um, Thank you for making time for me. I'm sorry this ran so long. I no, don't know that people will listen to it. Oh, the they whole will. Time. I've had longer all episodes. All the good stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Not many, but right. I've had a couple. <laughs> okay, all right. But no, you're good. <laughs> it was good. Like I said, these conversations need to be had. I don't. It, it is what it is. Well, and, they do. And if, if if people aren't having them, then like I said, there's no there's no such thing as progress. So. Um, I'm actually going to text you right here in a minute the contact I have in my phone for the American Foundation for Suicide, you know, the crisis line and the text. I'm going to text you all the info, how it looks in my phone, and I want you to put it in your phone, but also share it with your with your people. I will. I'll even, maybe I'll do an okay. Instagram post or something with it. Yeah, sure. I sure will. And uh, like I said, we'll keep in touch. I'll talk to you very shortly. And uh, like I said, you take care of yourself. And uh, like I said, good luck with everything with the book. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yes, You're doing ma'am. great work. Keep it up out there. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Um, yeah. Um, long conversation, I know. But, hey, like I said, these conversations need to happen. So uh, I'll stop repeating myself. I am exhausted. <laughs> I am sleepy, boys. Uh, Bullet was laying here with me. Oh, there he is. He's over there. Uh, I got a new Mac computer, and he's sniffing the box. So there's that. Um, yeah, and it's hot in here. I have to turn my air back on. I just can't turn it on with, with, with the this mic because, God forbid, it would sound like a fucking hurricane's coming through this apartment because the sound, like I said, when, I don't know how many people thought I was peeing or pouring water or whatever with his little fountain. And the reality of it is it was pretty far away, but it, it picked up. So I have to turn that off every time I turn this mic on. And he, I think he gets sad, but, you know, he'll be all right. Um, anyway, guys, thank you for support, as always. Um, this is like on repeat, but hey, so be it. Um, there's only so many words you can throw out there. Um, but, yeah, please comment, like, subscribe, and all that, and share if there's anybody you know that can help. Um, you know, especially with her as a guest. Like, there's a lot of people that are suffering, a lot of people that are suffering with their demons and, and, you know, they're really considering, um, checking out. And that's one of the reasons for this podcast to, to stop them from even considering it or stop them from making the ultimate, you know, they cannot turn back. They did something terrible. I mean, there's people that commit suicide and they, um, it's, it's a false attempt. You know, so you've seen people who, took a shotgun, blew their half their head off, and they're still alive. So not only are they alive, you know, now, you know, obviously people are not letting them out of their sights, but now they function even worse in life. Now they're missing half a face, and, and God knows what else is wrong with them. And um, Look, there's so many tragedies. There's so many terrible things going on on a daily basis. And, you know, we got, you know, as she was saying, we got to mute our, we got to turn this news shit off. Um, we, we gotta, we gotta just do better for ourselves and do better for other people. And, um, 
I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm far from perfect. I have my anger. I have my things where I just, I go on rants and as you know, and I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be a better person, even with her, like she said, with changing you know, my diet. I, I know I'm, I'm trying to cut back on caffeine and so on. There's a lot of things I'm trying to cut back on. So I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if I'll succeed at it. I'm just trying to be a decent person, trying to be a good advocate and so on and so on. But we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying my best, guys. And I'm, you know, I guess I'm a success story, but, you know, I'm far from where I want to be. So just got to keep pushing. And uh, hopefully we obtain all the goals that we not only set out, you know, set, you know, I can't speak. I'm so exhausted. <sighs> so exhausted. Uh, just, you know, try to just succeed in all the goals that I, um, I'm considering and, and you know, I, I can't talk. Screw it, guys. I'm out of here. I'm tired. I can't put words together. Um, but, yeah, please just. You know, everyone take care of yourselves and, and, and I don't know, just try to do some good out there for the world. Uh, not only for yourself, but for for anyone out there. Just do some good, okay? So that's my advice for the week. Uh, do some good. Maybe I should give you an advice every after every episode, just some advice, which probably advice that I probably won't even take myself, so never mind. Um, see you guys next week, and um, yeah, continuing on. Already almost up to episode 80. Wow, Jesus Christ. All right, guys, see y'all later.